Good morning and welcome to a very special episode of The Daily Oz. It's Monday the 9th of October. I'm Zara and every day this week Tom will be bringing you The Voice Explained, which is a series we'll be running up until the referendum on Saturday. It's something that we are really, really proud of, so we hope that you enjoy. The question you'll be asked to vote on on October 14 is... Do you support adding an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice to Australia's constitution? Do you approve this proposed alteration? That's the question. In one sense, our task is simple, deciding between yes and no. But the debate has been messy. I'm worried about it. That is an issue for our country. And it's left a lot of people confused. So this week, I'm going to cut through the noise. I'll take you across the country. I'm Tom Crowley reporting on Yawaru Country. Give you yes and no perspectives straight from the source. And I'm optimistic that Australians will vote yes. Whatever the outcome is, the nation will be bruised. And show you a range of First Nations perspectives. We need change now. Well, I don't trust the government. Why should I? Our children are voiceless. Our women are voiceless. Episode one, The Road to the Voice. There are plenty of places that we could start this story, but let's go right back. For at least 60,000 years, these lands have been home to a collection of distinct cultural and language groups that we call the First Nations. About 250 years ago, British colonisers arrived, and in the years that followed, it's estimated that as much as 90% of the pre-colonisation First Nations population was wiped out. In 1901, Australia's founding document, the Constitution, specifically excluded First Nations people from policymaking, something which continued until 1967. And there is a long history of discriminatory policies from federal and state governments. Today, disparities persist. First Nations people have worse outcomes compared to non-First Nations people on health measures, education measures, economic measures... And this is something that just about everybody in the voice debate agrees needs to change. We need to see better outcomes on the ground. This is Jade Ritchie. She's a yes advocate from the Bunda clan of the Garangarang Nation. You know, this is a matter of life or death for us. I'm a mum raising two Aboriginal teenagers in the Northern Territory right now. And it's the most beautiful thing, but it's also terrifying. Because right now the statistics tell me that my children are more likely to go to jail than go to university. There are people in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community who are living in dreadful situations. This is Nyungai Warren Mundine. He is a no campaigner and a Bunjalung man. Probably worse standards than my family lived in back in the 50s and 40s. And it's, and it's, it's horrifying to go there and see that. You know, the closing the gap statistics. You know, what is rheumatic heart fever and, and why is it so rampant in the Indigenous population and yet it's been completely eliminated in the non-Indigenous population in the 1950s? This is Professor Marcia Langton, an academic, a Yuman and Bidjara woman and one of the architects of The Voice. We'll live eight years less than any other Australian, but that's just an average and it's much, much worse in many areas of Australia. And so people are dying 15, 20 years, 30 years before their time. And so to be born into the world 
as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander now, for most Indigenous people, means that their lives will be cut short, much shorter than other Australians. I was with the party that took someone to the morgue last week. People don't seem to understand what mortality rate means. It means that people die. It means they die right next to you. So on both sides of this debate, there is agreement that we have a problem. Something else that just about everybody in this debate agrees on is that to change these statistics, it's helpful to listen to the people who live them. I think that despite best efforts, if you're not hearing things directly from the people who the policy and legislation concerns, there is a real risk of that messaging being diluted and the context being missing. And so the best thing you can do is actually listen to the people who those policies and legislation affect. We've got now the traditional owner groups, the original First Nations, as people talk about, who uh, are got getting their land back. So there's about 55% of Australia's land masses now under control of these native tigers. And these people actually got a voice. They speak for their country. The idea that First Nations people should be represented in the nation's capital and tell the government what their communities actually need isn't a new idea. In 1938, Yorta Yorta man William Cooper sent a petition to the king asking for Aboriginal representation in Australia's parliament. He argued it would get better outcomes. Since that time, a number of different bodies have been set up to involve First Nations people in First Nations policies. But all of them have since been abolished. The most recent example was the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission, or ATSIC, which was set up in 1990 but dismantled in 2015. For advocates of a voice, the lesson from all of this is simple. Consultation works, but it's governments who keep getting in the way. Governments in the past have played a lot of games with Indigenous people. We talk about political football, and we've seen that in representative bodies being stood up and then abolished and stood up by the next government and abolished by the next government. We need the security. Budget can roll on from year to year, funding completely the wrong intervention that, you know, is not getting any outcomes, any successful outcomes, simply because the executive government are wedded to a policy position that's dictated by a minister. Um, and that is the primary reason why we're not closing the gap. If they don't start to work with us in a more collaborative and fruitful way, then, you know, the outcomes will be so much worse. This frustration was front of mind for First Nations leaders when they gathered in 2017 to talk about a different question, constitutional recognition. This was an idea which had been around for a while, to add symbolic language to our nation's constitution to recognise First Nations people as the original inhabitants. The recognition part is very important because we believe that it will give Indigenous people dignity in the Australian nation and rather than feeling like pariahs and outcasts, having status in the constitution will mean that we're part of the national fabric, finally, and recognised as the first peoples and not the wrong type of people to be socially engineered and assimilated. 
This idea of constitutional recognition also had broad political support, and Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull had set up a council to work towards a referendum on recognition. That council held meetings across the country, but a consistent theme emerged. First Nations people didn't want just symbolism. They wanted something tangible. They wanted a voice. These conversations about the constitution ended with a convention at Uluru. 250 First Nations leaders were selected from across the country to agree on a way forward. 243 agreed on a statement which came to be known as the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes were the first sovereign nations of the Australian continent and its adjacent islands and possessed it under our own laws and customs. This our ancestors did according to the reckoning of our culture from the creation according to the common law from time immemorial and according to science more than 60,000 years ago. Its number one element was a constitutionally enshrined voice to parliament. We call for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the constitution. It would be an advisory body to speak to the parliament about matters relating to First Nations people. But right from the start, there was opposition to this idea. This country, your system of government, has been built on lies. Lies. This is Lydia Thorpe, a senator and a Jabwarang Gunai Gunditjmara woman. Thorpe is part of a group of progressive First Nations people who didn't like the idea of putting an advisory body into the same constitution that had been written by colonial powers. And the referendum for the voice to parliament is a continuation of these lies. The voice is the easy way to fake progress without actually having to change a thing. This is Thorpe speaking at the National Press Club a few weeks ago as part of her campaign against The Voice. But she's been opposed to the idea right from the beginning. She was actually part of a group of seven people who walked out of the Uluru Convention in protest in 2017. Our people have never ceded sovereignty. We have never given up our right to manage our own lands and our own people. That is our constitution. We've got the oldest constitution on the planet. Yours has only been here a couple of hundred years. Thorpe's criticism comes from the progressive end of politics, but there were also concerns among First Nations people on the other end of politics. There's a committee, a group of people, who are going to advise government, and, and government doesn't have to accept that advice, or it can accept that advice. Nyungai Warren Mundine is a conservative who had supported constitutional recognition but he didn't like the idea of a voice, which he thought would be the same as other bodies attempted in the past. To me, it was like a huge bureaucracy was going to be set up. That to me seems a bit weird because we've been doing this for 50 years. Since the 70s, we've been uh, having advisory committees who governments accept their advice or don't accept their advice. Uh, so I don't see the point in putting that in the constitution. For me, I want practical outcomes and I want them to happen. Of course, it's going to take time. But if you don't start today, then it's going to take even longer time. Mundine's argument goes deeper than just whether the voice will work. 
At the press club, during the Voice campaign, he cast the referendum as divisive. That's what the referendum and this Uluru statement is all about. A radical and divisive vision of Australia. Do we want to be a country where people are divided by race, permanently in conflict with each other over facts of history that cannot be altered? But for some, division is already a reality. Here's Marcia Langton again, one of the key architects of The Voice. Is there anybody else in Australian society, is there any other ethnic group that is constantly told, cease to exist, cease to exist, we don't have to recognise you, stop speaking your language, uh, don't cook your food. It only applies to us. We live in a soup of racism. It's structural racism. Most people can't see it, don't recognise it, and wonder what we're complaining about. The Uluru Statement couldn't be further from the idea of reconciliation. The full manifesto is steeped in grievance. It sees Indigenous Australians as trapped in victimhood and oppression. Now we should emphasise that the views of Mundine and Thorpe here are not the majority view. Polls suggest that more than 80% of First Nations people support a voice. I think there is real opportunity here and we don't get the luxury of being ideologues. We don't get the luxury of sitting around waiting for something better. We need change now. So the voice has divided some First Nations people right from the start. But as the voice headed towards Parliament, a new type of political contention would emerge. Tomorrow, I'll speak to key players in The Voice's journey through the nation's capital. Whatever the outcome is, the nation will be bruised, and it didn't have to be this way. No nation has ever been made stronger, more unified by fear. And we'll look at how an idea born at Uluru ended up in the Canberra political crossfire. Thanks for listening to this very special episode of The Daily Oz. I know I learned something, so if you did too, then send it to a friend. It starts a conversation, and right now, conversation is so important. This episode was written and presented by Tom Crowley, produced by Joe Kiley, and edited and mixed by Nina Copel. We'll be back again with episode two tomorrow, but until then, have a fabulous Monday. <laughs>